Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Alan B. at Uranium Research, Mr. Bo Jangles at Adequate Ryan, Joe G. at Boone P81, Samar C. at G Dog 54, John W. Ali Bongo Triple Eight, and Eduardo B. Returning to the program today is Roger Lemaitre. Roger is the president and CEO of UEX Corporation, an Athabasca Basin-focused uranium exploration and project development company with various projects in the basin, including exposure to cobalt and nickel. UEX is listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol UEX and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol UEXCF. Roger, welcome back. Well, thank you for having me back. Well, let's start off here, Roger. Why don't you just give us a quick take on the current uranium sector conditions, you know, just to say keep it to the last four months or so. What's your thoughts on this market and sentiment and where we're headed? Oh, wow. Uh, definitely moving in the right direction. I think we're seeing utility by uh, buyers of uranium start to get a little bit edgy about things. We're seeing a lot more action uh, from them uh, behind the scenes trying to, to secure supply. Uh, but I think probably the most scary part for, for most of us who've been in the space for a long time is the incredible volatility we're seeing in the space. Um, you know, I think most of us in the uranium space are used to seeing, you know, we're seeing the long-term fundamentals that have been talked about for several years uh, start to come into fruition or that maybe we're at the, the end of the beginning of this process of seeing, you know, that supply gap that everyone's been talking about happen. The, the Sprott Uranium Fund, of course, has been sort of the catalyst that I like to think is kind of like the Cigar Lake uh, flood of the 2006 era uh, to start the process rolling. But the difference we're seeing this time around compared to the last time around is there's there's much more volatility. We're very used to seeing volatility where things are moving in an upward direction or flat direction uh, in terms of uranium price and uranium equities. And we used to see the sawtooth pattern where things drop due to little bits of news here and there. But we're also, with, with the Sprott Uranium Fund, being a significant influencer nowadays, we're seeing not only is the volatility in the downward direction, but it's in the upward direction. So the ups and downs are bigger than I think what we saw last time around. Appreciate your views on where we're at here and natural resource volatility, pretty standard issue. Let's go back here. I want to uh, kick things off with an update on the capital structure for a moment, where we are on shares outstanding, the cash on hand and the major shareholders. Okay, so for us right now, we are at about 537 million shares outstanding. Uh, we have a little more than 5 million in our treasury directly. Um, we do hold money with Denison in our uh, co-owned company, JCU, which is about, you know, I, I can't really say that because I'm not allowed to, but it's substantial enough that we're going to cover next year's expiration and, and development costs that JCU are involved with. So right now, uh, we're in a pretty good spot uh, financially. Any comments on, you know, major shareholders that are on the roster that you can mention? Yeah, most of our major shareholders right now would be the, the uranium funds that most people know about, the Segras, the Tribecas, the Sackham Cove, our, and, and Extract Resources are our, key, our largest shareholders right now, uh, in addition to the all, all the key uranium ETFs. 
Roger, and how about the the management team and the BOD? Generally, a very small position in the shares here, something to the order of at least last information circular. We were somewhere around 2.1 million shares, not including options, RSUs, et cetera. But any plans to grow that share ownership amongst the management team and the BOD? And what would you say to maybe shareholders that are concerned about that shareholder ownership level? Uh, certainly can understand the, the concern. Uh, this year in June at the uh, AGM meetings, the company came to a policy that uh, that all board members and management are going to own in a in a five within the next five years three times their their salary. So whether that's a board director salary or a management director salary, so our our company management and board will be in a significant buying strength. Uh, trend here over the next few years. So that's that's sort of where we're trying to address that issue. I think one of the more important transactions, Roger, and I think you would agree that happened here, uh, would be this JCU arrangement that took place. First off, well done to you on seeking out that transaction initially. Of course, you've you got some other parties like Denison, uh, highly motivated once that was announced. Talk about the idea. How did it come to materialize? And what was your thought process with doing a deal on JCU? And obviously, I think that started to reflect some of the value that was in that deal. Back uh, in December, about this time last year, we heard wind that uh, that JCU might be available for sale. Uh, their ownership was a trifecta of a consortium of companies in Japan. Two of the companies uh, that owned Part of JCU decided to get out of the of the business and left it to a company called o, or OURD or Overseas Uranium Resource Development uh, uh, Company. Uh, OURD was a consortium of 29 of the largest miners, uh, bankers, traders, uh, commodity traders in Japan. And to be fair, OURD is a pretty small component of uh, when you're on 129th of it in your your name, your company's name is Mitsubishi. Uh, OURD was a significant player in the uranium business globally. They own the, uh, a good chunk of the Komanak operation in Niger that shut down in March. Uh, and they owned a piece of the McLean Lake Mill uh, and Midwest uh, deposit in Canada. And I think with the shutdown of what was happening over in, uh, in Niger, uh, the 29 company partners said, you know what, it's time to divest of these assets. And we heard that JC was for sale. And uh, myself personally and a couple of our board members have had a long history, maybe not just at UEX, but going back to our days in our previous uh, roles. Uh, I managed a lot of the joint ventures that uh, on behalf of Cameco when I was Cameco employee uh, that JC was a part of. And so we had a relationship with, uh, with these guys for many years. They, they did uh, they did offer it up to sale for a handful of companies. I, I don't know which ones because that was all done very privately. And I think we were able to move very quickly on uh, on and and, and get their, their their interest in moving along a time frame that they had a very short time frame to to develop. Uh, we would have loved to have, uh, and we struck a deal pretty quickly. I uh, would argue that we would have loved to have owned it all. With, uh, we still, you know, I think if you asked our friends at Denison, they would have loved to own it all too. Uh, but neither wanted to, to end up in a spot where we didn't own any of it. We we had a deal. We struck a deal very quickly, and I do believe, you know, as I said in in previous uh, outlets, that uh, we felt that we had a pretty ironclad deal. Uh, and at the end of the day, um, through our grapevine, as uh, as Denison came in and and rightfully so, and made their offer an opportunity, um, I think we could have easily taken them uh, to court and uphold our what we thought were you know our ironclad rights, but. Well, it would have been several years. 
uh, of, of legal negotiations and fighting and trying to get people to testify across an ocean. And it just we just felt as a as a management team and as a board that it was better to share this than than to try to fight for these rights and, and actually raise money to fight to legal battles. Um, just that's just a difficult spot for a company to, to be in and fighting companies with much deeper pockets than we do, than we have uh, over across the ocean. And, and when Denison came to us and said, hey, maybe instead of getting into a bidding war scenario, we should uh, we should do more uh, working on a together process. It came together very, very quickly and we uh, can say that uh, they've been, I, I hope they feel the same way, but we've been really good partners and they've been really good partners with us on JCU today. Good to hear uh, you guys got along on that and that some type of an arrangement was reached. I think it's uh, probably a, a wise decision to not try to outspend Denison, given the difference in market caps of these companies and also the firepower that exists between them. More value will be built as this cycle moves forward, Roger, as you know, and that it, overall it was a pretty dang good move there. And also that some other parties should have been looking at this that maybe weren't looking at it. And uh, you guys brought that ahead and were a few steps ahead of the competition here. And I think that was pretty evident. Next thing here, definitely a lot of questions, and you've gotten some popularity, Roger, on social media, especially uh, Uranium Twitter. This spin out with West Bear Cobalt Nickel Project, um, it's been promised for some time with delay. When do you see this will definitively happen, and what structure can existing shareholders expect? Well, I don't think our structure has changed since day one. I mean, it's always subject to whatever opportunity pops up in front of us, but our, our goal has always been, and it still remains, to spin the assets out into a separate company. And as this company was formed back in 2001, uh, shares, dividend shareholders out to the to the founding to the shareholder of the founding company, which would be us in this case. We were found. We we were you know when Pioneer and Cameco came together to form UX in 2001, the uh, the shares that Pioneer shareholders got or the Pioneer received was dividend out to the Pioneer shareholders, and we we visioned very much the same thing. But at the end of the day, it comes down to value, and, I, and I, I'll, I'll go back to, to 2017, uh, where cobalt prices are where they are exactly today, uh, when we entered the cobalt space, and we went from concept with a couple of drill holes and said, oh, there might be something here, uh, from November, middle of November of 2017 to a 43.101 report by the end of June on a first resource basis, which is, I, you know, I'm going to say a lot of pride in my team, it's almost unheard of in the space. Uh, to make a discovery and get to a primary uh, resource uh, in a 43-101 level in a six and quarter month period. Uh, at just the beginning of June 2017 or 2018, uh, when we just were ready to issue the report and we had a plan to do the spin out, uh, cobalt market collapsed, uh, partly due to the price correction from $90,000 a ton to, to about $55,000 a ton. But also in Toronto, there was a, there was a very significant cobalt uh, equity offering that went sour uh, bought deal $300 million financing and you know cobalt became a very challenging proposition on in, in the investment community in Toronto price of cobalt continued to collapse and it's been relatively flat for the last couple of years and not only was it flat we saw a lot of uh, a lot of capacity idled uh, and potential fears of, despite the fact that cobalt demand is growing pretty rapidly, the EV adoptions are moving way faster than I think even the most optimistic people were thinking. Uh, with idle capacity of mega projects that you know had over over 30% of the world's supply uh, capacity sitting idle, there just wasn't a lot of appetite to move these projects along uh, into a new vehicle. And only just very recently has that changed. Um, 
but you know they're scared so we go out there and say hey guys bring us uh let's find some strategic partners or people who want to finance uh, uh help us finance a new uh, spin out and we're getting sort of radio silence right now from groups because quite frankly there's the we've seen last year's gold being really excited and this year uranium and everyone's focused on the hot commodity of the time uh, which right now has been uranium so people are very eager to talk to us about uranium opportunities, but less so about cobalt opportunities. And it's not so much about can we do it. We could have done this any time. It's about, you know, I'd like to talk about our management team. Our job is to the UEX shareholder, not to the new shareholder of who might come in to help move the West Bear project along. And there's got to be a win-win between both. But I mean, we, we could have spun this out last year for a million dollars. But back in 2018, you know, there was an argument that, that there was, you know, 10 to 20 times that value in our company on Westbear. And so we need to see a little bit of that value. And I think with the share, with the cobalt price recovering to the same levels we saw in 2017, the opportunity is now there to create a value where, you know, like I said, we could have spun out for a million dollars last year and UX shareholders would have probably owned, oh, 20% of the post-IPO company. Um, that's not a fair value for shareholders today or our UX shareholders, it needs to be a better balance. And I think with the price moving in the right direction, that balance is now available. Now it's a question of finding the partner that wants to be involved with us. Okay, so basically uh, find a partner, that's first, uh, this is not going by itself, there needs to be a partner. And then also with regards to the share distribution on the new company, uh, is it something along the order of a quarter for one or what's the distribution yeah. anticipated? Until you know the ultimate valuation of, of, a, of a post IPO company or what we anticipated, that's impossible for us to, to say. Like it really is, okay. is it 10 to 1, 1 to 10, uh, could be anywhere in the middle. Probably right. would be. Okay. If cobalt, nickel market, and junior equity sentiment increases substantially here, would you guys go in alone on getting this spun out and getting a management mm -hmm. team put together, or must you have a partner? No, we don't have to have a partner. We just, we need to have someone who wants to, and the partner might not just be a technical partner. I, mean, I think actually for us, that's the least important angle here. It's the financial partner that wants to come in and help us move. We, we think we have a very unique idea and it's got incredible potential because it's never been looked for. And the last thing that we want to do is set this idea adrift for UX shareholders and find out that six months down the road, the new spin up couldn't finance itself. And then that whole idea and value gets stranded. So it's about being able to finance the company through the next, the new, the new uranium, or excuse me, the new cobalt company through the next couple of years. And so yes, that is that's the challenge that we're, we're up against. But also balancing that with value. It's not just a question of doing something. It's doing something that creates value. Okay, certainly an objective to try to complete 2022, but no guarantees. Oh, we've thought this since 2018. The, the right partner, the right time, the right balance that creates value, we'll do it and just haven't, and I know people think we're not doing anything on that front. Um, believe you me, we've been reaching out to tons of groups and I've heard lots of comments. Well, why don't you talk to this group? It's like, well, yeah, I know we've been there. <laughs> and it's uh, it's a little bit, uh, a little bit frustrating uh, for everybody. I think more than anything else, it's more frustrating for the management and board here because we've really wanted to do this. Well, let's move on here, Roger. Let's talk CDRN. Comments on this? Uh, what's UEX's perspective here? How do you think CDRN and the events coming out of that uh, will impact UEX and impact projects in the basin? Well, it certainly had an impact on UEX and UEX shares uh, value. And 
and it's you know a little frustrating for us because you know we while we do have our Shea Creek projects in those the area of, of interest that CDRN has been talking about our partnership and we don't have a single asset in that area that doesn't partner up with Arano right now and Arano and and, and CDRN have had a, a long long-standing relationship and as the operator, uh, sorry, as Arano is the operator, it's very hard for us to inject, well, it's not hard for us to inject ourselves process, but it's appropriate for Arano to carry the torch for us on that. And, you know, I I, well, I don't sit there and say that those two are probably the, you know, the best of best of friends at all times. They do have a very good relationship. Uh, so, you know, uh, for us to come out and make public statements can only cause damage. Uh, to this to the relationship because no matter how it's intended or how it looks it's you know our our assets there are teamed up with Arano and Arano has a world is a world-class company with solid relationship with them how it impacts where things are going I think for, for for investors you know we're seeing the beginnings of what we're seeing in most of the rest of Canada uh, come to the fore in Saskatchewan where things have been relatively settled for a long period of time uh, and I do believe that it's you know part of this is frustration uh, from the from the stakeholder communities. Part of it's frustration from the companies, and quite frankly, the, the group with the duty to consult is the is the crown, and they're kind of dropping the ball a little bit the last little while. And um, I think you're going to see more interactions between the companies and the stakeholders directly, which is probably where it needs to go anyway. Okay. So let's cover uh, the next steps on Christie Lake. What do you have there as far as updates on Christie Lake? How do you plan to move forward here? Well, actually, for Christie Lake, we've been we've we've had our drill program from the fall here completed. We've had a little bit of analytical troubles with the lab and had to send stuff back a couple of times because they didn't meet the QAQC requirements. So those, those I keep telling people that's imminent, <laughs> and it is imminent. Uh, we are planning across the board in UEX next year, a significant op exploration operational tempo increase. So a little more work being done than we've done in the past. We've always tried to be, you know, with the JCU deal being the exception. Uh, although I think that the, the, the money we raised for GC was inherently fair when it comes to the value that we brought with the acquisition. We've always tried to be cognizant of, of dilution to shareholders and we've moved our tempo of operations up and down compared to where the market feels they want to see us work we're getting a lot of signals saying do a lot more at Christie Lake next year I think we're going to see a sit down and we do have a plan it's not public knowledge yet so I can't get into the details but to do a whole lot more work and I think for us you know the strange part for I think for investors is to hear that we're we're now going to start moving on phase two or year two of our original five-year operating plan when we picked up Christie Lake even though that was five years ago uh, and what we learned in year one of our operational plan or of execution for, for exploring the project was that despite the fact that we really like the basement potential of Christie Lake uh, along the main Yalawaga trend where we have the mineralization, uh, that there was substantially more unconformity, classic unconformity potential than we would have thought when we picked up the property, even after our due diligence review. Um, there were things that came out of that first drill program that went, wait a second, we got to look for the classic unconformity, that cigar lake style, the pipe deposit. Uh, we did find a small version of that at Aurora, uh, but I think this year you're going to see us focus a lot more on, okay, let's go back to year two of the plan, uh, look for the basin potential. We've learned a ton more about the intersecting structure combinations that we need to see in the basement uh, that every basin deposit has. 
uh, in the Athabasca Basin. And we'll start our process of, of, of looking along the trend back towards the main MacArthur River mine. So that, that will be what we're looking at this year, in addition to work on other projects as well. Our JCU projects are going to be slightly more active than, than we were anticipating. Of course, there's work at Wheeler River, uh, and uh, some of the partnerships that have been already taken will be busier this year that have been quiet for the last couple. So we're, we're pretty excited about a significant amount more work this year. You guys have a lot of projects. What do you think on working towards bringing in some interest from maybe new entrants into the sector, maybe new entrants into the basin, JVing out some of the non-core stuff, maybe monetizing some of the non-core stuff um, to companies who want to come into the basin? What's your thoughts on focusing in on those two to three core projects and moving some of this other stuff, you know, in a way useful to shareholders? Now, absolutely. Uh, I think we've said uh, for many years being uh, unique in the uranium space in the Athabasca, that being we're a portfolio of opportunities, meaning while we have advanced projects that are ready to move towards development, like like Wheeler and and and, and Horseshoe Raven uh, and others, that uh, that there's too many projects in the company, and we need to create value at the lower end, uh, the grassroots end of the portfolio. And it was always, and once again, it's kind of like the the same story when it comes to the cobalt assets. is about the right timing, uh, and you know. You say, well, why don't you do a deal with so-and-so or so-and-so in space? And you're going, well, okay, um, yes, we could. Uh, most of the uranium incumbents in the Athabasca Basin have had their their flagship project that they've been struggling to finance for, for years or have been doing slower work on. And when was the uranium marks turn, you're seeing op- those projects move forward quicker uh, because they're fina- more financeable. Uh, a lot of more new entrants in the market. Believe you me, we were ta- we've been talking to uh, probably well, close to a dozen of them right now. Uh, great opportunities about companies that can come in and finance themselves. In the past, I think the challenge was getting the financing to do the work. We're not willing to do a deal for the sake of just doing a deal. We want, if we're going to give away, you know, what we think are some prime assets. You know, our, our because we picked up this land package in 2001 to 2004, um, before the last boom, we got to pick up land on the key trends and in key areas uh, of both the western, southwest, or eastern and southwestern parts of the basin, even the north rim. Uh, and they'd be flagship projects for an awful lot of our peer companies. So we're just we're just not willing to give something away to get a deal so we can monetize something in in three months' time or four months' time. We want them. We want to mon- We want to do that, of course. But we also want them to be successful and be able to solve a problem and actually commit to doing the work on the ground. And so, you know, a lot of the deals that you're seeing, you know, we're clearly looking at that. We think that the assets that we're looking to move along are more valuable than those. Um, and so they're a little harder to get to the to the finish line. But we are literally talking and we do believe that we need to monetize a lot more of those assets. It's just getting just getting it's <laughs> their talks in progress. So yes. Uh, we can't work them all. Even in the best of markets, we can't work all these projects. So we know we have to monetize them. It's about finding partners that have some legs that can last uh, the next couple of years and solve a, an exploration problem. Each one of our properties has, you know, we've gone through in infinite detail and said, okay, what would we do if we had money? How much would we spend uh, to be able to solve or answer the next one or two questions? And, um, I just don't want to do a deal that gets someone up and planning on a flavor of the month and turns around next week and their next week's, you know, um, well, will be cannabis this time. Who knows what the next trend will be and use it as a launching point. We want them to focus on the Athabasca Basin. And I think that's the key part. We want them to focus on our projects. And, and that's, 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 a, that's a feeling out process. 
How about consolidation in the basin? Roger, what do you think about that? Uh, do you think that there's maybe some potential companies that make sense to put together in the basin? I mean, there are, it's a crowded space. The basin is certainly crowded and will probably get more crowded. Uh, mm -hmm. What's your thoughts on getting together with other companies at this point, or do you have enough on your plate with uh, existing projects and that there's not really any value to do any potential consolidation work in the basin area? Uh, there's always value on that, uh, always. It comes down to, for us, um, when I look at us with 31 projects, um, we always look at consolidation as a, as a win-win scenario uh, to help someone, if we're gonna do a consolidating process where the best asset that is coming across to us um, would rank 10th, 12th on our portfolio of, of opportunities, we don't feel that's value creation for UX shareholders. So those opportunities are relatively limited. There are you know, several companies in the basin that are focused on a single asset and until they're ready to move, and they're bigger than us, until they're ready to move into to a broader scale, then that's probably a little bit harder to do. I can see consolidating opportunities that might include stuff from outside the basin as well. There's very little doubt that um, there are two jurisdictions in, in the world that create larger value in your aim space. One of them is the Athabasca Basin. And a lot of people like to get that. And the other one might be your, your Western United States. Uh, so those 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 air jurisdictions create a premium. There's there's definitely possibilities both in in within the Athabasca and within combining outside the the Athabasca as well to create a more diversified scenario. But once again, it's not just consolidating for the sake of consolidating. It's it's bringing you know value to both sides. Both sides win. And those are harder. Those are much harder. You know, there's a few routes on that. There's a few passes we've seen. There is consolidation for the sake of consolidation, and that uh, still works. We've seen positive results out of that. And then there's meaningful M&A, where there's actually a, a pipeline being built. It's something that mineable pounds, if you will, that can actually get out of the ground with the right teams, uh, obviously the right jurisdiction set up and uh, so forth. Related to jurisdictions, Roger, I mean, where would you look? You've certainly said that there might be some interest in the United States. Would you go beyond the United States for UEX, or do you feel like it's pretty much North America? I think strongest feel would be North America. We've always been the company, you know, and we, we don't say it in our stuff more recently. Even before my time with the company, it's all about working in the safe jurisdictions uh, that are safe investment jurisdictions, which honestly happen to also be the best uranium jurisdictions as well. So we 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 have in the past and 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 would continue to consider opportunities in, in certain parts of Australia as well, uh, because there are some of the good mining jurisdictions, a uh, good uranium mining jurisdictions there as well. It just becomes a little more difficult from a from a management point of view. But you know, North American focused would be, if given the choice, that would be our number one choice. As far as types of projects, you know, conventional or uh, ISR works for you. Uh, yes, absolutely. I think for us, it's all about. I love the Athabasca. I love the grade. Grade creates a lot of opportunity and creates a, a lot of forgiveness as well when it comes to mining. But at the end of the day, it comes down to how much can you make on a per pound basis and what's the cost. And I think that ISR is 60% of the world's supply coming out of ISR. There's there's no reason to not, or there's every reason to consider ISR as well. How about awareness, Roger? I, you know, some folks are I guess unhappy with the frequency of news and updates, um, and then also just general market awareness of UEX and getting out the story of its strengths and also differentiating itself from all of these peer companies in the basin. What would you say on that? And what's your guys' plan in 2022 to increase awareness? 
this year's focus has been dominantly on uh, what we did with JCU. I think for us, uh, what we're finding uh, as we started out in our, our marketing plan this past year was was marketing exactly that difference, and that is the portfolio angle that we bring, that we're evolving into a long-term and sustainable uranium company. Uh, it's just not as, you know, I guess we're, we're feedback we're getting back from, from investors, it's not as sexy as the one shiny object project that, uh, that other companies have. So we're gonna be you know, a lot more active in 2022, uh, getting the news out, doing a lot more uh, information on our social media about, you know, the details about what makes value, uh, spending a lot more time in, you know, talking to guys like yourself uh, than we have in the past, just trying to do, continue to discriminate ourselves as, as the portfolio of opportunities instead of just the one. I think probably the greatest value driver we have in our company is the fact that while we do have development ready projects and we're moving forward with you know through JCU and, and Denison at Wheeler and we'll be part of the Chemicals next development project at Millennium uh, and we do have our horseshoe rave and stuff moving forward um, it's the ability to have that lower risk exploration portfolio discovery advantage and doing more work this year um, you know, to be fair, we only did two million dollars worth of work last year because this time last year it was a we're just starting to see the movement in the in the market to, to in your aim space. So we we made a conscious effort to cut back on work last year because it was you know I think last winter was probably the lowest expiration effort in the Athabasca Basin in 20 years, uh, and so we're going to go to one of the highest ones this year as a collective group. Um, but no, just continuing to talk about our. You know, while we don't have to do the work to build the mines that we're partnered up with because we're the minority owner, it gives us the ability to look and focus on new discoveries and our, our portfolio of mid-stage resource level projects is extraordinarily enviable even amongst the majors. Uh, and I don't think people truly do realize that. It's just about, it's a matter of effort and we're gonna up that effort in terms of dollars in the ground this, over the next couple of years. Yeah, let's get the market into the proper stages to wrap up some of those efforts. Um, just back to ESG-related topics, the native relationships, I think, is also important for you guys. Maybe just speak to some of the initiatives that you guys have you know, with some of the native groups and ESG efforts in terms of local initiatives on the key projects that you're moving forward that you have the torch on, Roger, as you you spoke about uh, Orano having more of that obligation in some cases, et cetera. You know, talk about ESG initiatives at the company and then also how you plan to continue to build the relationships with those native groups that are involved with the projects. Would they have the potential to invest or have a stake in the company and the success of some of these projects? I know, fair. I appreciate that. Uh, and I was, I was in saying where we had the torch because that's exactly where I was going to take that question as you were answering it. Uh, all, most of our operating projects, almost all of them are on the east side of the Athabasca Basin. Uh, this year, uh, we've done a couple of initiatives to try to spur new uh, business opportunities for the communities in the east side. So, for example, our, our winter program at, at Hidden Bay, uh, we contracted out for their very first ever uh, a catering company called Athabasca Catering, which is well known in the mining uh, end of things. They, they operate at Cigar Lake and MacArthur and McCainman and Key Lake and all the key mining operations are the big caterer of choice. Uh, and they're a group owned by a consortium of the uh, First Nations communities in the north. This year we gave them their very first ever uh, camp catering contract. We've been encouraging this as a business opportunity. Uh, so we've been doing, we got did that for the first time and we're hoping that uh, they'll be able to provide the capacity to come back again this year 
on our other two counts. So we work very actively about, hey, here's a business opportunity, can you help us out on those fronts? And we'll be willing to take those chances uh, to do that, to spur business. We've been focused as much of our contracting, we have targets in place to make sure our service contracts are, are as, as far as we can, uh, and there's capacity to do so coming out of the north. We did a program this year with the Métis community in Pine House uh, where they had an absolute need uh, for some serious, you know, you won't think of remote communities having homeless issues. Uh, we, we provided some infrastructure uh, without being, they reached out to us for some help uh, and, and we just thought the help that they were asking for wasn't nearly enough of what the need was. So we teamed up with one of our suppliers and provided them with some infrastructure uh, so that they can help people who are homeless that have addiction issues be able to to have a safe place to go uh, as the winter closes in and it's very cold up there uh, and it was a little more than they were hoping for uh, our goal is to be neighborly uh, in our backyard with them so they think about us we have specific targets with our first ever ESG uh, report came out to early last year or early in 2021 uh, and we have goals on all of them the key metrics as well you know, greenhouse gas emissions water uses we're putting Putting uh, we, this year we'll be putting things like water meters on our drills so we can get a sense of how much water consumption is being done and how we can improve. So we have a very good model in place. I think I think probably the thing that encouraged me the most, um, which was uh, which is kind of interesting, uh, one of our key stakeholder communities is is Walston Lake, uh, part of the Hatchet Band, and uh, we wanted them. We've been we've always had employment opportunities uh, with the band uh, going back many years and they were in lockdown due to COVID and um, they were very frustrated that they couldn't get out and work with us this year uh, at the beginning of our winter programs. And so we've, you know, when it was the, on day one of the lockdown ended, we had them in camp with proper COVID protocols. Uh, I just, I think there's really great, you know, we're trying really hard to be, uh, be recognized for the, for, for looking at, it's just such a good business in the uranium space to have community involvement at service provider level, at the neighborly level and, uh, an employment level and it's just we we're still small it's 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 uh, we know where the expectations are uh, we know what the historic work's been done i mean uh, i look at cameco and say man they're they were a world-class esg company before esg or even C, uh, csr was it was a was a popular term and that's what we'll aspire to Appreciate that, Roger. It's always good to discuss those things and seeing what the companies are doing on those fronts to essentially help grease the wheels and make sure that the community uh, continues to have their interests looked out for. And, you know, for companies to listen to what community wants, not tell them what they want, but to listen to what they need there. And obviously, mineral development in this region is key. And, uh, you know, there's not much else that's really going to replace that or move the needle for development of community and really enrichment for community as well. Roger, to finish up, back to broad strategy. You know, you've got the exploration component, which uh, is is good to have in the uh, the back pocket. You've got the joint venture component, the potential for monetization as well with that on non-core projects. You've got minority interest in major projects, and potentially uh, you might even add the efforts to potentially become a producer yourself, cake in a can. What would you say about all of those, and what do you think is the most likely to, to occur for UEX? Talk about overall strategy and what the plan is. So I think you have to break that down into time frame. So in the short term, in the next couple of years, it's going to be all about the new discovery potential and working on those, you know, the Christie's and the Hidden Bay type projects that we have in our portfolio. As our partners move those other projects forward, Chemical is not quite ready to move Millennium forward until 
the day comes that uh, that MacArthur's up and running and Cigar comes to its natural end of its life down in 2028-2029. So over the next couple of years, our focus will be letting Denison do their thing at Wheeler River and being a positive partner to contribute with what we need to there until they get into construction. So the midterm strategy is about becoming a producer, at, you know, and, and being a part of a producer at, at, uh, at Wheeler River and then as Millennium, Millennium moves forward. And then the longer long term is the sustainability of the company with with all the assets that we have at Horseshoe Raven uh, and we'll be working in the midterm to move that one forward with uh, further engineering studies because we really like the heat leach potential. So short-term exploration potential, moving into the, the producer status and then that sustainability in the long term. And Roger, for potential investors who are on the sidelines listening, market cap of the company stands at about 185 million Canadian. What would you say to them about considering UEX at the current uranium sentiment environment and also at the current price level? If you want to be exposed to lower risk exploration potential, our mid-stage resource level projects really gives you that value. That honestly is, when you, no matter what the cycle is, high end of the cycle, uranium cycle, low end cycle, somewhere in the middle, you discover potential drives value. You want exposure if you're an investor who wants exposure to uranium price we have resources you want exposure to emerging development we're a cheap angle in on that and we have the ability because we're a portfolio company to to, to vary the strategy slightly as as the as the market conditions change and and there's not too many uranium investments that give you that flexibility that exposure uh to the either pounds or discovered potential or emerging production and the best way for investors to reach out to the company? Best way is to always reach out to us uh, via email or Twitter. Our email is uex at uexcorp.com. Uh, that's where we answer our investor inquiries. We certainly get our fair share of Twitter and UEX Corporation as our Twitter handle. So all one word. Roger, well, thanks for coming back on to update. Appreciate it. Best of luck in 2022. Well, thank you very much. And thanks for having us on the and we will talk about some of these challenging issues, which aren't just as clear cut as you'd like them always to be.